0: Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com and I'm here with our digital director Mike Hogan.
1: Hey Katie.
0: Our film critic Richard Lawson. Hello. And our senior writer Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. Today we are bringing in two special guests to talk about two, I think, very different aspects of uh, Oscar viewing and award season. Uh, First, we're going to be joined by Carla Lawley-Music of Bon Appetit, who has a lot of recommendations for the food you can serve at Oscar night parties, the uh, themed food, maybe embracing a couple of puns, and also a really spectacular gourmet popcorn recipe that I have had and I can speak to uh, personally. And then we're going to be joined by Daniel Joyot, who has been a listener to the show, who uh, several of us got to meet at the Toronto Film Festival and has kind of masterminded the theory of how Best Picture works and has some fairly bold predictions about how it's going to shake out this year. So we're going to go from the fun of Oscar night parties to the uh, very detailed Oscar math that actually tells you who's going to win Best Picture.
1: Well, we have the pleasure now of being joined by Carla Lally Music, the food director of Bon Appetit. I was just saying before recording, I'm a big fan. So it's thrilled thrill to have you here.
2: Thank you so much.
1: And we're kind of doing, I'm going to be on your podcast or Bone App's podcast uh, next week. We're kind of trying to do some crossover between food and movies. And I think I'm going to talk in general uh, about just, well, food and movies. But we have you here because, specifically, we have the Oscars coming up, and I know you've seen a lot of the nominated films.
2: Uh, weirdly. M- many years, I've seen, like, one movie. Now, are
1: you a screener person? Or are you going... Do you get them? Or do oh, you, or, God, no. No, no. no, okay. no I'm not that you're fancy. Just, you're, you're actually paying money. I have to
2: pay actual <laughs> earned money, yeah.
1: <laughs> what do you... Do you get
3: popcorn when you go to the uh, <laughs> um, movies? It
2: depends. Right now, we're big into the, the Alamo Draft House, oh, yeah. which mm-hmm. is walking distance from my house, and... um My husband has now said like he's not going to see movies anywhere else because he wants to the whole like the reserve the seats and everything. So I do get the popcorn there
3: and a beer like an. Uh, I sometimes get a beer yeah, 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 yeah.
2: yeah. it's pretty fantastic mm-hmm. the good. last time we went though or a bunch of these movies he was doing whole 30 so I was like shamelessly just eating a giant bowl of popcorn by myself it's <laughs> like sorry I'm not not eating popcorn <laughs> right
1: yeah it's essential to the experience <laughs> so you've seen a lot of the movies and are you somebody who in the past has ever like had an Oscar viewing party or anything like that and like I made themed I theme?
2: have. yeah I can't really remember though
1: yeah yeah I remember one year when I was like, younger my, my mom we, she surprised us. We came home from some tennis lesson or something, and it was a night of the Oscars. And she had on the dining room table all this like kind of pun theme food. It was the year Titanic won everything. Wow! So since then, I've kind of I think I've always imagined in my head. The menu I would plan tied to each movie, but I've never done it. But maybe this here with some of your advice.
4: I do it every year, but I'm not saying that like it's great food, but it is pun food. So that's something oh. that I do every year for the Oscars. <laughs> this is amazing. Last year we did La La Lamb, we did <laughs> Hidden Figs, Manchego by the Sea... And Hail Caesar salad.
0: That sounds like a good meal, actually. Like, it all goes together, kind of.
4: Yeah, once you have your main, like this year, Lady Bird, I think, makes the main really easy. Or you could do, like, the roast for the post or something like that. But I know we're not here to talk about puns. We're here to talk about
2: food, so.
3: Before we talk about pun food, is there, like, a guacamole for the Oscars, right? Like, the, like the Super Bowl is basically, like, guacamole day.
2: There's got to be some thing on gourmet popcorn. It just Mm -hmm. seems like the right way to go. And then the gold food, you know, somehow tying something gold into it. Yeah. I don't know. I always start with popcorn. And champagne. Yeah, champagne is good. Mm-hmm. And dip. I think like doing. It, it's always so formal, you know. One year at Bon Appetit, we did for the Oscars all black and white foods mm. to sort of mimic like black tie. Right. And so there was like onion dip that had like burnt onion powder on top of it, and all this this like very elegant white crudite that was set on chipped ice and stuff. That mm-hmm. was cool. That was <laughs> wow. fun. Yeah. Cool. So
1: that's what you're going to do this year, I assume. Again, at your home. At my home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah totally. All the chipped ice and everything. <laughs> Of all the nominated like films, is there one that stands out to you that has like maybe the easiest food tie in or I mean.
2: I mean, it might be easy and yet inappropriate because Call Me By Your Name, like all that stone fruit, you know, (laughs) it's just like right there. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just there for the picking.
1: Peaches and cream, or something.
0: <laughs> My dilemma about "Call Me by Your Name" is that you know it makes ripe peaches just look like the most delicious thing in the world, but this is not the season for them at all. Like I there, know, are you just going to set yourself up for disappointment if you try to serve a peach at your Oscar party?
2: <laughs> uh, for sure, they're like they couldn't be worse right now. But you could do something. They also have the apricot juice apricot nectar at the very beginning there's that scene so the bottled like sarah's or the apricot nectar that comes in a bottle you could probably do a cool cocktail with
1: oh that's a good call
2: yeah Yeah. Uh, like a peach bellini or something yeah that Mm. would be perfect with the champagne
1: is there anything to be done with the soft-boiled eggs?
2: Well, I was thinking about that yeah. as well because the eggs come up and call me by your name, but also in Shape of Water. I had a better idea for Shape of Water because they're hard-boiled, so that's like just like deviled egg. It's just so obvious. But because he's a sea creature, I was thinking, you know, in Chinatown, the little tiny dried um, shrimp. Oh, that sure, is, yeah. So you could like top every deviled egg with one of those little tiny shrimp to be like a little sea creature. Or
3: some sexually
1: suggest of herrings, you know, or something yeah, there to you go. go. Along with, uh. <laughs> I had said to Katie before we recorded that, like, well, well, obviously, Shape of Water. It's an easy tie-in with a fish dish, and she was like, Richard, it's about her falling in love with a fish, not her eating a fish. <laughs> so the egg is it's probably line, really. the egg is probably the way to go,
2: and then the key lime pie too. Yes. Oh, of that right. Yeah, of course, right. Terribly terrible guy in the pie store. So you could do key lime pie or key lime pie, key lime bars.
0: You know, like lemon yes. bars.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, You feel like you should eat key lime pie because poor Richard Jenkins can't go get his pie anymore after what happens in that movie. So I you know. have to eat it in his honor, you know, reclaim the <laughs> key lime pie.
3: Isn't it also like a really bad
0: pie? It's terrible. In the,
1: but in the film, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of, he's just eating it for that one reason. Okay. Don't, don't go out and make bad pie, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> make, it, make it well. <laughs>
2: you could have key lime margaritas.
3: There
1: you go. I like that. That's uh, that, that seems like an, an elegant solution too. Yeah. yeah. Um, Is there anything to be done, maybe, with the glorious breakfast we see Winston Churchill fed in Darkest Hour?
2: See, I didn't see Darkest oh, okay. Hour because
1: yeah, he's obviously he's a he was a food fan. But what is
0: he? Um, <laughs> so what's it's just there? it's a pretty
1: st- standard. It's you know rashers of bacon and all that stuff. But it's the one I think big food scene in that movie. But.
0: Well, you have you have Phantom Thread and Darkest Hour, which are a real celebration of English breakfast. So, if you want That's to kind true. of have an incredibly heavy meal to serve with your cocktails, you can have a lot of meats and tea and scones and uh, uh, lapsang Z. I I think if you did, you know, bacon
2: bruschetta, mm. no one would be mm-hmm. mad. Yeah, mm-hmm, just yeah. bacon and
1: toast. Yeah, so the way to go is more like kind of finger food, or party food, rather than like a full tilt. Served meal, I think right? So yeah, I guess it yeah. depends
2: on how many people. If it's just you and your one significant other, then you could set up a very elaborate like table for two in front of the
1: TV yeah. and go all out. But if you're gonna have six people over, you don't wanna that'll just be. No, that's a bit <laughs> much. I think
0: <laughs> well, Carla, as someone who's not crazy like the rest of us, like do you get to watch the Oscars and like go get up and get a snack if you feel like it? Don't worry <laughs> if you miss a performance. Because like I feel I feel like for all of us when we watch the Oscars, we demand complete silence. You can't have a party, like there is it's no fun at all. It's seems like you actually get to enjoy it
2: yeah i probably would be a little bit more laid back it's a lot about you know the outfits and um the speeches but i do i have a kind of yeah i get a little crazy at the awards shows they can drive me really nuts
1: uh, like nuts and just in terms of
2: i don't know the self-congratulatory like thanking of every person you ever met like yeah. i think that this year probably they'll focus on having a statement but so many years it's just like the litany of people is so boring.
1: We can just probably accept as, as a blanket thing that everyone's going to thank Kevin Huvane, the agent, right? You know, maybe we don't like right. to say yeah. it anymore. Skip it. Yeah. Right. Uh, is there any food that goes with rampant
3: displays of narcissism?
2: Mm. <laughs> That's a really good... Something
4: Something with like a cake with like a shiny mirror finish. So you can just look at yourself.
2: <laughs> yeah, a lot of um, the sparkler candles just in everything, right. just going mm-hmm.
1: off. Mm-hmm. That would be good. I was trying to. I was talking to Katie again. Uh, with three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah. Is there any food native to Missouri? Is there any, is there food in that movie?
2: All I could remember was them eating cereal.
1: Oh, that's right. And yeah. Like the, yeah. That
2: scene where she throws a cereal at her son, like right. to try to get him to crack up.
1: Yeah, that's right. That would yeah. be fun. You could make a, a cereal bar. Well, Chex Mix. Oh, there you go. Do mm-hmm. Something on that. Yeah, a okay. classic. Yeah.
0: Or I just think of three billboards like just walking around your party with a wine bottle and no one's like totally sure what you're going to do with it. Just, you, know, you might drink out of yeah. it. You might throw it at somebody. Just really uh, edge up the suspense at your party. So
1: you've been to my house while I'm watching the Oscars, Katie, is what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. Do you have any go-to kind of like party foods if you were going to have people over? Not, not necessarily for Oscars. But...
2: I love nice meats and cheeses, mm-hmm. olives always, some kind of marinated cheese, um, like feta some crusty bread usually makes people pretty happy.
0: So that sounds like what you're saying is it can be pretty simple like we don't have to take uh go overboard just cuz it's the Oscars like the food that makes people happy at one party is going to work for Oscar night.
2: I would think so. I mean I would definitely try to get some movie theme thing in there, you know, what well, even if it's chip ice and like give everybody a plastic cup. Right. Yeah. And get soda.
1: Yeah.
0: The shape of water is that what you call your ice hole?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think that you have to just serve everyone their drinks out of a elaborate teacup and then you drag your spoon across the edge of it Yeah, so you hypnotize anybody.
1: Oh, there you that go. That seems
0: like almost a simpler, like the simplest thing to do is you don't serve any special food, you just have the teacups.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, you just hypnotize everyone to thinking you gave them <laughs> good food.
0: <laughs> you could also give everybody um,
2: their party food in the brown paper bag that she brings to work in The Shape of Water. You know, her little like oh, to go... Yeah lunch mm-hmm. or you good, could yeah. do a severed finger thing and just get it more
1: <laughs> a biscotti or something Severed or like, finger food
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um yeah that's funny nice. <laughs> severed finger food yeah like pigs in a blanket yeah. or just like chopped up chorizo or mm-hmm. you know <laughs> Some hot dogs that are just like sticking out yeah. of something.
3: Chorizo yeah. in a blanket could look like a
1: dead severed finger with like a bandage around it. Yeah. If, you, exactly. if you really went yeah. for it, yeah. Uh-huh. And if it uh-huh. works uh-huh. for your Oscar party, it'll work again for your Halloween party. <laughs> 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 so true. It really, Del Toro has given us an abundance uh-huh. of. We should everyone should just had Shape of Water theme parties, not just not Oscars. Um, what was your favorite movie this, that you saw? Among, I loved
2: Shape of Water, yeah. but I, actually the three billboards. Call Me By Your Name and Shape of Water. I just thought they were all fantastic. Yeah. I don't know. They're very different, though, because I love Francis McDormand so much. And I thought that movie was great. And Woody Harrelson is amazing.
1: Yeah. Was there anything about this year that made you see more than you have in past years? Or was it just kind of a chance thing
2: no i think it was just yeah it was just, just having the
1: draft house down the street
2: having the draft house and uh i don't know my husband and i try to do like date night one night a week and we were just that's pretty good. motivated on the movie front so that made it happen call me by your name though has like inspired us to go to italy this summer though so yeah. that's oh, like wow. a, an yeah. another level
1: what would you have done with that big fish that he that the old guy brings home and shows to everyone oh, proudly? Yeah. like what what would be like a I guess simple is probably the way to go there, maybe.
2: Yeah, whole roasting a fish is not bad. You yeah. have to be comfortable with doing that indoors, right, right? In February. Um but stuff it with lots of herbs and sliced lemons and some fennel fronds and cover it in olive oil and stick it in the oven
1: yeah I would think I one, one of the things about that movie is he, he proudly shows the fish yeah. but then we don't see what they do with it and I was it's it's a little bit like Chekhov's gun or something it's like if you're going to introduce the fish <laughs> in act two or whatever we got to see it yeah
0: Carlo do you worry about your vacation to Italy not being as delicious as in the movie because the, the whole power of that movie is that it makes it seem like you know so surreal and magical that it could never be recreated like are, are you just going to have to eat so well to make up for you know not having your first romantic love at the age of 20 in a beautiful mansion
2: I think the thing that ruins Italy and in comparison to that movie is that they didn't have devices. You know, there's no there's no phones and there's no screens and there's no kids on iPads. And so those kinds of weird, dreamy, buzzy days with the bees and the hot air where you're like fall asleep with a book on your face like that was the thing that I think is so hard to recreate now. Um, that made me like the most maudlin, probably. But if you go somewhere remote enough with no Wi Fi, then <laughs> yeah. then you can ha- you can have that.
1: There's gotta be some Italian island or something where, you know, yeah. they don't have cell reception. We're just or gonna
2: tell our yeah. kids like, No Wi Fi, sorry, batteries, you're dead. Like when they were little, we would just when we wanted them to turn off the annoying game, we would be like, Oh, no batteries, all the stores are closed. Sorry, it's over.
1: <laughs> That's a good strategy. Or just be like, you know, they're illegal in Italy or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 They don't have that here. Sorry. <laughs> That's not a thing. <laughs> yeah. Here's a book. Um, is there a movie that you can think of uh that has made you like the most inspired about its food or the hungriest for its food?
2: Um, Why am I blanking on the name? The bowling, Jeff Goodman, the guy, uh, the uh, dude. Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. Lebowski. That was the most inspiring for um, white Russians. Like I walked oh, out of what that movie. Food is
3: in that? Okay,
1: yes. White, white Russians.
2: Russians. I walked out I saw it with my sister. We walked out, we crossed the street, we went to the liquor store, we got Kahlua, we went back to my apartment and just drank White Russians <laughs> all day.
1: And they did they deliver? I mean, did they taste oh as
2: my good god, as you want? Yeah. Oh, my God. of a little bit of a little
1: I don't know that I've ever had. of oh a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a little bit
2: Yeah, it's pretty weird. yeah. But, mm.
1: I, when I was a teenager, my uh, we asked my friend's older brother to get us booze. And as a joke, he came back with peppermint schnapps and Zima. Uh, <laughs> and then he said, but with the peppermint schnapps, you can get some chocolate milk. And it's called a peppermint patty. And we, were, we at 16 or whatever, we like, great idea. Not great idea. Not a great <laughs> idea. No. I think you have to be a little older to appreciate the dairy and liquor combination.
0: Just one. Yeah. Carl, I have uh, one last question to kind of bring it back full circle. You mentioned gourmet popcorn at the beginning. And I you know, had the one at the Alamo Draft House. But you, there's a million different ways you can make it at home. What are the ideal gourmet popcorn toppings?
2: Oh, well, the way that I make popcorn is just, I think, the most delicious way. Um, So I pop it in coconut oil or ghee or olive oil. It doesn't really matter. And then drizzle with more olive oil when it comes out. And then it's nutritional yeast, black pepper, kosher salt, and um, Aleppo pepper, Mm. which is just a little more mild if you can't use any mild dried chili. And it is more delicious than Doritos, I swear mm, to God. Wow. It is so good.
3: Nutritional use. So
1: you're, sto- you're stove popping it, like stovetop. Yep, yeah, yep, okay. regular. Yeah.
2: I mean, you could do it in the microwave, I guess, and then and dress then... it. But I did do a taste test with microwave popcorn. It's just not as good.
1: No, and I feel like it's harder to control the, the burn to not burn ratio.
2: Right. Do yeah. you like? Are you like a burnt kernel person? There are those people.
1: Uh, no, because I feel like it infects the whole <laughs> uh-huh. batch, right? Yeah, so I much prefer the, the laborious. Yeah, know, I like a up.
2: high. Like there's no greater satisfaction than popping every kernel. You know when you get to the yeah, bottom and right. you're like, I nailed it. <laughs> I did it. Yeah.
1: It's like you'll win an Oscar. You yeah. can give a, a, an acceptance speech. <laughs> Thank you Kevin Huvein, for this popcorn. <laughs> exactly.
2: I guess if you didn't have or don't like nutritional yeast, you could do grated parm, which would be What um, does the
1: nutritional yeast do to It's
2: th- like a cheesy umami oh, flavor.
1: Okay okay mm. it's
2: it's finger licking good it's good it's really good
1: well now i want to try this Great. I, mean, I i'm i'm chained to my computer during the oscars but you know maybe the day after yeah the day i'll just have a little yeah, celebration <laughs> well carla thank you so much for coming in and thanks doing for this. having um, me yeah and people can find you on the youtube channel that i love you're also doing a tons for the magazine and everything right yeah. yeah are you on twitter
2: I am Lolly Music on Twitter and Lolly Music on Instagram, which is where most of the food
1: stuff is. Well, yeah, that that would make sense. Yeah. Um, On
2: Twitter, I'm like ranting and raving about random topics that I get mad about all day. I want
1: that. Um, But I highly recommend the YouTube videos. They're great um, and really informative and fun. Thank you. Carla, thanks for being on.
5: Thanks so much. Thanks, Carla. Thanks. This year, I'm going to eat better and spend less time and money at the grocery store thanks to Butcher Box. Butcher Box is the meat delivery subscription that gives me more time for what matters most. Each month they send a box of the highest quality meats for a better price in the grocery store, which gives me more time to spend cooking and sharing delicious meals with friends and family. two pounds of ground beef, and three pounds of bone-in chicken thighs for free in the first box by going to butcherbox.com cadence. That's butcherbox.com
0: cadence. So now we're joined by Daniel Joyo, who has been a listener to the show, a contributor to Vanity Fair, and uh, you write at Third Man Movies on Blogspot. Um, and you have kind of been talking to us, basically showing up every Oscar season, being like, hey guys, here's why I have this bulletproof theory about who's going to win Best Picture. And uh, you've been right two years in a row, and especially last year when you kind of stood up and said, everyone says it's going to be La La Land, I think it's going to be Moonlight, and here's why. And you were uh, right, surprising a lot of people. Um, so I wanted to start off because we mentioned last week that part of the key to predicting best picture is the preferential ballot, which uh, we all admitted confusion on. And you have not only kind of figured out how it works, but figured out how to use that with predicting. Um, So just to start off, can you walk us through in, in as much plain English as possible what this preferential ballot thing is and why it's so important? Yeah,
6: absolutely. So the way it works essentially is there are nine best picture nominees and Academy members are instructed to rank the nominees in their order of preference. Now, ideally, every Academy member is ranking all nine. Probably a lot of them don't do that. Some might only decide to rank four or five and then think the rest, you know, aren't good enough to their liking to bother putting on their ballot. But let's assume that everyone ranks all nine. The idea behind the preferential ballot is for the best picture winner to have over 50% of the vote. Now, in the initial ballots, odds are that won't happen. Because with nine movies, one of them getting over 50% of the vote is just extraordinarily unlikely. So what happens is then they start eliminating ballots one by one. First, they'll start by eliminating the film that received the lowest number of first place votes.
0: So if we're thinking about it in terms of like last year, like...
6: Fences was my best guess. Maybe Hell or High Water, maybe Hidden Figures, but almost definitely one of those three was the film that was eliminated first.
0: Because they got the fewest number of total nominations, like, so it seemed like a pretty educated guess.
6: Yeah, and I f- and not even just necessarily in total number of nominations, but bit by bit throughout the season, I think you can kind of see where the most passion is and where the least passion is. You know, I- ideally, that will sort of conform to what has the most or the least nominations, but not always. Last year, for example, let's say Fences was eliminated first. Then what happened is all of the ballots in which Fences was number one, the Fences basically marked off of those ballots. And whatever was number two on those ballots then becomes a first place vote for that movie.
0: And it gets added into all the existing first place votes of the people. So it, it kind of helps tick it up closer to that 50% line.
6: Correct. So, you know, for example, if Moonlight and La La Land, you know, on initial ballot, both had, let's say, 25% of the vote. And then the fence's ballots were eliminated on the fence's ballots. If more of those people had Moonlight number two than La La Land number two, then Moonlight would get a boost in that second round.
3: While we're on this portion, what do you see as the as the eight and nine movies this year? The post, maybe?
6: Well, yeah. So this year is tricky because I think in most years you can do a sort of three tier best pictures. You know that these are the top contenders. These are the middle contenders. And these are the ones that are extremely unlikely to win. This year is weird in that I think we have sort of five top contenders and then four not-so-much contenders. Of the four lesser contenders, which I think most people would agree are, in some order, the post-Darkest Hour, Phantom Threat, and Call Me By Your Name. I think it's difficult to try and suss out what would actually get the lowest number of first-place votes. You know, you can say the post because the post only has two nominations, and that's, you know, at least semi-logical. But the post, I think, will have a lot of appeal to the sort of steak eater crowd of the Academy. And, you know, that might be a larger number of people than we're really factoring in.
0: Yeah. And then you get something like fandom thread which was kind of a surprise nominee but then it's gotten all this buzz since then and, you know it's opening in more theater so it feels like there's energy behind it and it got the surprise best director nomination and you can
6: kind of continue
0: with logic for all of the nominees right. in that way
4: don't tell katie this but i think it's the darkest hour yeah i mean i think there's a very good <laughs> chance the I darkest hour this.
6: is the first ballot eliminated um i've seen a few oscar pundits on twitter sasha stone for example try and you know have all of their followers rank the uh their preference, as though we are all Academy members, to try and suss out what you know order things might get first place votes in. In Darkest Hour, at least in that test, got by far the lowest number of first place votes. But again, we are not I Academy see. members, so it's hard to say whether that means anything.
1: I I feel like that movie would be Call Me by Your Name, to be honest. Yeah, and it, and it definitely yeah. could be. A lot of people yeah. love Call Me by Your Name, though.
3: A, a, yeah, a lot. I don't yeah. know. It's I don't Hard know. to say. It's a tricky year for it. A lot of people love Phantom Thread. A lot of people. Yeah. Nobody really loves uh, The Post.
4: Darkest Hour. (laughs) Nobody loves The Darkest Hour.
6: Well, at least 350 people loved it enough to get a nomination. But whether there were 375 or more, it's tough to say.
0: Wait, so explain that 350, 375 number.
6: Yeah, so we don't know the exact number of people in the Academy. We know how many invites go out each year. We don't necessarily know how many people decline those invites. We don't know exact number of Academy members that die or that lose voting rights. But we can guess that there are about 7,000 people in the Academy, give or take. And the way something gets nominated for best picture is you have to receive at least 5% of the first place votes. So 5% of 7,000 is 350. So for something to receive a best picture nomination, it has to get at least around 350 first place votes.
0: And that's why sometimes we get seven nominees, sometimes nine. That's how the sliding scale comes into play. You have to cross that 5% threshold. Do you think
4: once there's a pool of nominees and maybe this is just asking you to get inside the head of people you don't know, but like, do you think once there's an actual pool of nominees, you, the average Oscar voter are more likely to vote for your favorite or, you know, the one your cousin worked on or whatever uh, versus the one you think is likely to win the one where you think your vote will matter the most? Or is that what the preferential ballot is all about?
6: That's a great question. And I have no idea. I think in years prior to the preferential ballot, we could guess that people would start trying to game out their votes more and try and back winners. I think with the preferential ballot, that's at least kind of discouraged. And maybe it's more likely that people will stick to their guns and really rank films as they love them.
0: Yeah, because your number two vote matters so much. It's like a real, you know, you can get behind, if you really love Call Me By Your Name, you can put that at number one as your conscience vote. But then at number two, you can start thinking like, okay, well, what if it's get out and, and go from there?
3: Yeah, I mean, let's uh, to put a fine point on it, for anyone who's having trouble following this whole thing, being the number two choice of the least popular or two or three least popular movies is a huge advantage. That's basically what we're saying, right, Daniel?
6: Yeah, so I, in the last two years, the years were Spotlight and Moonlight One, I think that was a huge factor. I think last year, for example, if we guess that Fences, Hidden Figures, and Hell or High Water, in some order, were the first three films eliminated, I think that... The voters for those films would be more likely to gravitate to Moonlight than they were to Lawland, and that was part of what pushed Moonlight over the edge. Same thing with the year before, the year Spotlight won. The first three films eliminated were likely, in some order, Bridge of Spies, Room, and some film that I'm forgetting, that seemed likely that the people who loved those films most would gravitate towards Spotlight rather than... Oh, yeah.
3: So, like, indie movies... All right. So what's this? So what's this year? So now I I want basically I just want to know who's going to win this
6: picture. This year, it's far more complicated. You know, Katie introduced me with my bulletproof theory, and I'd love to have that much confidence in it. You know, and it's hard to say exactly how the ballots sussed out. And this is ultimately all speculation. But in the last two years, I think it's at least relatively easy to think that probably only three or four films had to be eliminated before something got pushed over 50 percent.
0: Because there were kind of some clear front runners in these years, as opposed to this year.
6: This year, I don't think it's going to be that easy, you know. So, if you think about the initial ballots when all nine films are getting first place votes, because of the way this year seems so wide open, because the passion among voters seems so spread among these films, I think that this year, when the first place votes are initially tallied before anything is eliminated. There might not be a film that has over 20% of the first place vote. There might not even be a film that has over 15% of the first place vote. So this year, I don't think it's going to be as easy as eliminating three films to get one over 50%. I think that probably six or maybe even seven are going to have to be eliminated before something gets pushed over the... 50% Fifty percent threshold.
0: So you're imagining in the first round, you get maybe twenty percent of the vote goes to three billboards, Lady Bird, Dunkirk, Get Out, In Shape of Water. Like they all kind of are jockeying for first place to the point that none of them has anything close to a majority.
6: Yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, the number that I have in my head is like twenty-two or twenty-three percent. I don't picture a film getting higher than that on the on the initial round of votes.
0: So then, what does this lead you? Because you have a you have a prediction of what you think is going to win after all of this, and uh, yeah, talk us through that.
6: So do you want me to do you want me to give the spoiler right away or do you want me to build up? I don't know. What do you guys say? I say build up. Build to it. Build to it. It's
4: crazy. Build to it. It's insane.
6: All right. So if we adopt the theory that it's going to take eliminating six or seven films from the ballot before Mm -hmm. anything can get over 50 percent, then we're not even necessarily looking for what gets the most second or third place votes, because when you eliminate that number of ballots, it's going to go all the way down to fourth, fifth, and maybe even sixth place votes that end up becoming first place votes. Because, you know, w- you know once five films have been eliminated, and then you're going to reallocate, reallocate votes for, you know, the four films that are still left, those four films might be, you know, in fifth place on several people's ballots. So yeah. ultimately what I think we're looking for this year isn't what film gets the most first place votes and not what film gets the most second place votes. What we're actually looking for is what film finishes lower than fifth on the fewest number of ballots. Uh.
0: (laughs) So what is like the most broadly represented in everyone's top five? Like the closest to a consensus we can get in this unconsensus year.
6: We're looking for basically the film that the fewest people strongly dislike. Yeah. So I don't think it'll be three billboards because I think that there are too many people that feel – rubbed the wrong way by that film. I don't think it'll be Get Out or Ladybird. Um, As we saw, I think Mark Harris tweeted about this a few weeks ago, that he had been talking to Academy members that seemed very dismissive about those movies when he would bring them up, and they would say kind of, like, really? Or didn't we do that last year, as though Get Out is nothing more than a black movie? And so I don't think that those films will rank high enough on all the ballots. I think there'll be too many ballots where those rank 7th, 8th, ninth, and won't get that extra bump. So I think we're really looking at either at two films, and it's going to be Dunkirk or Shape of Water, because those are the two that I think will be lower than fourth or fifth on the fewest number of ballots.
0: But you, I th- did, did you not say that you were going to pick Dunkirk of those two?
6: So I think it'll be Dunkirk.
0: That's the crazier pick. <laughs> it's the bold <laughs> pick. That, but that's, it's no risk, no reward. You know, if you don't go bold, then you don't get the attention when you're right. If
4: I don't call him crazy now, he won't get to gloat as hard when he's
0: right. Exactly. So Well,
6: I'm going to call him crazy we'll
4: now. We'll see what happens.
6: But yeah, I mean, so between Dunkirk and Shape of Water, those are the two films that I think will have the highest sort of average placement between the ballots. And Shape of Water, I think, is the film that – will be a little too genre for maybe too many members of the Academy. Whereas Dunkirk, I think, is one of those films that, you know, it might not get the initial first place votes, but I don't think there's any sort of quadrant of Academy voter that won't strongly appreciate it. Because even the highly indie-minded voters, you know, they'll have their ladybird or their call me by your name or their get out in their top few slots but then before they get to sort of the films that they feel less passionate about i picture them throwing dunker kind of in the middle as like well i don't love any of these other films but this one at least was an amazing piece of craft or you know some logic along those lines so they'll throw it kind of in the middle of their ballot
0: and then you get something like the way you call it the steak eaters, who maybe would have put Darkest Hour in there or The Post, and then like Dunkirk would be kind of an obvious next choice for them too. So it's kind of like in the middle of the spectrum of uh, super indie or super uh, traditional.
6: Yeah, and even for younger members of the academy or you know the auteur you know driven members of the academy, there is an enormous respect for Christopher Nolan. And these are all people. I mean, like we saw, I think Scott Feinberg interviewed uh, Timothée Chalamet last week, and he said that Dark Knight was the movie that made him get into films. And Christopher Nolan has this enormous goodwill among this younger generation of the Academy with films like The Dark Knight or Inception that those members, you know, I don't see many people ranking Dunkirk low on their ballots.
0: Mike and Richard, what do you guys think?
1: I I would like to have faith in the the voting members of the Academy that they've seen everything. But I think that one of the other things about Dunkirk is that like, probably it's one that almost everyone's seen. So they're gonna be like, oh, right. Yeah, Yeah. it's not my favorite. So yeah, like you said, Daniel, they're not, maybe they're not filling out all nine, or we're not ranking all nine, but they'll be like, oh, and Dunkirk. Yeah. I don't know I think you might have Convinced me <laughs> It's it's
3: it's not the worst theory I've ever heard I, I have been thinking All along Like it's gonna be Shape of Water But I don't even know Exactly why But I was With a group of people Last night Who are pretty smart And and just about Everybody at the table Was just like I don't get Shape of Water mm-hmm. hmm. and, and I have felt That way too And then I know You know My aunt is a SAG member And a, a casting director And she was like I adored it And I know there are People like that And there are people Like that in the academy But it does seem to be Another one of those ones where it's got a small group of passionate people and then a lot of people scratching their heads over it. I think he'll, I still think he'll win director, but I, I it's, it's not the worst theory, Daniel, uh, basically like the one that kind of everyone's sort of like, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, and that everyone saw, uh, could somehow kind of sneak out of the pack.
4: I'm starting to feel like The Shape of Water is like the cilantro of this award season where like either you have the genetic thing where it tastes like aluminum or like it tastes like a delicious herb to you. Because, yeah, it's it's a crazy divide because it's not like an, a divide along intelligence lines because they're perfectly like brilliant people who love film who think Shape of Water is great. So I, I don't get it. Here's what I'll say about Daniel's bonkers theory. I hope it's right. I hope it's right. I hope it's right because the surprise of last year was so – Fun and interesting and sad for some people, but like mostly really interesting. And I would like no one's going in thinking Dunkirk's going to win, except for Daniel. So I would love for him to be right.
6: Well, I think of the th- of the best picture nominees in basically three tiers. I I think that there are four films that won't win, and those are The Post, Call Me by Your Name, Darkest Hour, and Phantom Thread. Then I think there are sort of three shadow contenders that you know I would not be shocked if they won. I just don't. Think they have a great chance, and that's Get Out, Lady Bird, and Three Billboards. And then I think Dunkirk and Shape of Water are the two real contenders. That I I would be genuinely surprised if it's not one of those two films.
3: But let's do just to be clear, like most people would not agree with you. Most people would put Dunkirk in that maybe rank, and Shape of Water, uh, Three Billboards. Lady Bird and Get Out have been kind of up at the top. I mean, I, I've been think, saying here that I, I think Three Billboards has a bunch of problems, including not the director nomination and the fact that Fox has both uh, Fox Searchlight has both uh, Shape of Water and and Three Billboards. I hear people say, "Oh, Lady Bird, it's fine; it's a coming of age movie." And Get Out, oh, it's good, but like you know, it, it doesn't really hold together ultimately as like a great film. It's like a really fun movie to watch. Um, so as but you know, the wrap on Dunkirk is. It's a bunch of indistinguishable young people running around, and we don't really know who the hell any of them are. So, I mean, there's this, there's a wrap on all of them. So, but I, I do like the the theory of backing into it. Somebody is going to back into it this year. It does seem yeah, that and way. And
6: Mike, you made a great point a minute ago when you were talking about your conversation with people over Shape of Water. Is that that's a movie that a lot of people just don't totally get. And I think Lady Bird and Get Out are also in that group that some voters just kind of don't really get why people are going crazy over those films. Whereas Dunkirk, I think, you know, at the very least, it's a film that there kind of isn't anybody that doesn't really get what it's doing.
3: Everyone admires it. Whether they admire it distantly or or for it seems like everyone distantly admires it. Frankly,
1: I think you guys are all really uh, underestimating the uh, amount of Academy members who are uh, huge Harry Styles fans.
0: <laughs> yeah, you you have a whole uh, a Slack group with them, right, Richard? You've been you've been rallying them.
1: Um, this is I, I'm in the Academy, guys. <laughs>
0: I think the Daily Beast ran the first anonymous Oscar voter ballot conversation yesterday, um, where the person was just like, I didn't get Dunkirk. Sometimes it was day and sometimes it was night. I also didn't know it was in France. And I'm curious about how many of those people there
1: are. Those columns every year are terrible. Or I guess that was an interview with Michael Musto. But like, that person just sounded like a true monster and was thing. I just don't understand why get out was the political statement of the year. I don't and it's like you don't really. Um but and they said they saw Darkest Hour 5 times. Yeah.
6: I actually just rewatched Darkest <laughs> Hour yesterday and I have to say I do really admire that film. I mean, if I were an academy voter, it probably would not be in the top half of my ballot, but I I do think it's being unfairly judged by film Twitter. Yeah. I I I saw it second time through. I liked it a lot more. By the way, uh
3: you got to use subtitles. To, to this is gonna this is a movie that requires subtitles and then it's really good.
0: Same
4: with Dunkirk. I just feel like I've made an enemy of Daniel by calling him calling his theory crazy and the dark sour not good. So um,
6: <laughs> Not at all. Not at all.
0: When he and Christopher Nolan run Hollywood, you'll be run out on a rail. <laughs> So, you know, just thinking about the way, if it comes out of Shape of Water in Dunkirk, I feel like Shape of Water wins, then we get this feeling that conventional wisdom rules. And, you know, Gamble del Toro was the runaway best director favorite. It's this beloved movie. It kind of feels like the thing everyone was predicting. And I want to root for Dunkirk because of the way that it would upend all of that in the same way that Moonlight did. I think. Last year, this was such a surprise, and we were all kind of like, how do we predict Oscars anymore? What do we know anymore? And it's been really healthy for all of us to really question our assumptions about what an Oscar movie is. And it's funny because Dunkirk looks like so much of an Oscar movie, and it checks all the boxes, which is why we were predicting it for months. But I would really like it if we all just kind of had to step back again and be like, hey... We still don't really know what this new academy is. This whole system is complicated, and that's what makes it really interesting and gets us really interesting winners.
6: Yeah, I agree. And we have to remember that with Best Picture, what we think of as conventional wisdom really only goes back seven years because that's when the ballot system wildly yeah. changed. And, you know, we could, it, you could argue that our conventional wisdom really only goes back two years because that's when the makeup of the academy started dramatically changing. So, you know, we're just still in an era where there is an incredibly small sample size to deal with and trying to suss out how all this plays out.
0: Also, I'm just pulling for Christopher Nolan. You want the guy to have a win.
6: And it's interesting, Best Director this year, you know, between Del Toro, Christopher Nolan, and Paul Thomas Anderson, those are three different directors that have, you know, almost 20 years of an entire generation of people saying, this is, this is one of our guys. So...
0: So we just have to guess how many people in that generation are actually in the Academy at this point.
6: Exactly.
3: Well, by the way, one other th- potential advantage for um, Dunkirk is how many people in Hollywood have worked for Christopher Nolan uh, or how many people in the Academy, probably a fair number. And assuming that they are proud of the work they've done and he isn't a complete asshole on the set, which I have no reason to think, then um, they that, that's a, that can be an advantage.
6: And you know, one thing that we don't know about Dunkirk and that we don't know about the Academy in general is... We take for granted that people in the craft branches, that, you know, the editors and the cinematographers and the sound guys will vote for only things like Dunkirk or things like Shape of Water. But it's it's hard to have that kind of narrow-minded mentality. I mean, there might be a lot of sound guys out there that think that, you know, Call Me By Your Name was the best film they saw last year. Call Me By Your Name has great
0: sound design, too.
6: That's true, too. The, it, there's this mentality to think that the people in the craft branches will only respond to films that, you know, really utilize all of the all that craft branches have to offer. And that's just not necessarily true. And we can't go in with that mentality.
0: So, Daniel, when you wrote about La La Land and Moonlight last year, you said if you're betting, if you're putting money on the Oscars, put it on La La Land. But here's why I think Moonlight will win. Do you have a similar thing for that? Would you tell people to put money on one thing, even though you're predicting another?
6: Oh, I, mean, I would say I'm generally uncomfortable with people putting money on my predictions. Anyway, <laughs> If you're putting money, I think Dunkirk and Shape of Water are both worthy places for your money. And I wouldn't necessarily want to guide you to one or the other. But if you're just putting your your predicting abilities on the line, then I would say go Dunkirk.
0: Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you've been writing, writing for Vanity Fair, but and people can find your blog. Is there anywhere else uh, people should look for you online and see more of your work?
6: Um, I'm actually working on a piece for The Verge right now that should be up in a week or two probably. Awesome.
0: Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining us.
6: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel.
0: Does it for this week's Little Gold Men? Thank you, as always, for listening, and please keep finding us on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a review and help us find new listeners. You can continue finding all of us at VanityFair.com, and we're on Twitter at Little Gold Men. And you can find us all on our own. I'm at Katie Rich, Mike,
1: Mike underscore Hogan, and Richard rylas by my book,
0: <laughs> and <laughs> Joanna this by Richard's book thank you this episode was edited and produced by Danielle Roth and this week's award for the best description of how to listen to Little Gold Men goes to Carla Lolly Music I sometimes get a beer yeah it's pretty fantastic